Well, it's a joy to uh, be with you again. Uh, if you have just started coming to Calvary in the last few months, I'll introduce myself. I'm Keith Christensen. I worked here just a few months ago, and um, I was sent out along with uh, 30-some-odd members and our many, many children to plant a church in another part of the Fort Worth area. And so on behalf of the saints at that church plant, I want to greet you and pass our love to you. Uh, we think about you so fondly. We miss this place. We pray for you regularly. And again, it's a delight to uh, be here with you, especially to be here with you over God's word. So let's open it together, and, and before we do that, let's open with a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for speaking to us in your word so that we can know the great thing that you did in sending your son to become like us for us and for our salvation. God, I pray that you would give us grace to tremble at your word, to receive it by faith, to love it so that we would worship you more truly and more fully and that uh, any rival loves to you would become farther away as second place because of what we see in your word. God, I pray that even some who are hearing might be saved uh, because of the good news that they hear proclaimed. God, we thank you for giving us a good news. We do not deserve good news but we have it from you because you are, as our brother Randy prayed earlier, you are great and your greatness is unsearchable. God, help us to see more of, more into your unsearchable greatness uh, so that you would be glorified in our hearts as you deserve. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you'll open to Matthew chapter 1, uh, the very beginning of the New Testament, Matthew 1. And last week at Christ Fellowship, we looked at the first part of this chapter, which is a genealogy in verses 1 through 17. And there we read about the family tree of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. And that long list of names is soaking with significance through this list of generation after generation after generation. Matthew was able to teach us how and why Jesus came into the world and his ancestral history reveals Jesus came into the world to fulfill God's promises and carry out God's pre-announced plan to save the world. In the second half of this chapter, our text for today, Matthew will teach us again how and why Jesus came into the world, but this time not through a genealogy, through a story about Joseph. The plot line of Matthew 1, 18 through 25, follows the inner struggle of Joseph over whether or not he should break off his engagement with his young fiancée, Mary. We're going to find out why he decided to go ahead and marry her, and that, in fact, he did. But this narrative about Joseph's dilemma is really all about Mary's child, and we'll find two main truths affirmed about him. First, the origin of Mary's child, and then the name of Mary's child. So where did Mary's baby come from? What would Mary's baby be called? Reading about the origin 
of this baby will tell us how he came. Reading about the name of this baby will tell us why he came. And both of these truths will tell us who exactly this child is. So look at verse 18, which begins the first main section, the origin of Mary's child. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So Matthew begins with an introductory sentence. The birth of Jesus happened like this. And then he explains, Mary is found pregnant when she is betrothed or engaged to Joseph, not yet married. Matthew makes it even more clear then what was not the cause of Mary's pregnancy when he adds that this happened before they had come together. So before they had consummated their marriage and begun living together as a married couple. Now, if we did not have the last four words in this sentence, we would have quite a scandal on our hands. But as it is, we read, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The virgin conceived. Which strikes us initially as utterly impossible. Except nothing is impossible with God. And so we read plainly at the end of verse 20. God the Holy Spirit is responsible for this. Now at the end of verse 20, the same explanation is given for the origin of Mary's child. Look at verse 20 in your Bible. As Joseph considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is, same phrase, from the Holy Spirit. This is how Jesus Christ came into the world. God the Holy Spirit, in his limitless creating power, did a direct, immediate, mighty miracle inside Mary's womb. And what the Spirit did in that womb was the initial spark of our eternal salvation. Mary knew this was going to happen. An angel told her, we learn that in Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High. Mary said to the angel something very reasonable. How will this be? Since I am a virgin. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And your relative, Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And then after this angelic visitation, Mary goes to visit that relative Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth sees Mary, the same Holy Spirit that caused Mary to conceive fills Elizabeth and compels her to cry out in joy, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord 
should come to me. So what is the origin of Mary's child? The Holy Spirit came upon her, caused her to become pregnant with a child who would be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. She became pregnant with a child whom the Holy Spirit called the Lord. When the Holy Spirit spoke through the mouth of Elizabeth, the aunt of Mary's miracle child. Now, there's a sense in which every time a baby is conceived, it's a miracle, right? Uh, Consider David, when he spoke to the Lord about his own conception in Psalm 139, he ascribed that to God's direct handiwork. He said, you, Lord, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed from me, when as yet there was not one of them. This conception that we read about in Matthew 1, though, is an exceedingly marvelous, extraordinary miracle. God knitted together in the womb of Mary a child apart from the ordinary means by which she ordinarily accomplishes this miraculous work. You know, some theologians have called this Holy Spirit conception in Mary the greatest miracle God has done. And I think they're probably right. This was the most extraordinary and amazing thing God has done. And it's not simply because of how the child was formed in Mary, but it's mostly because of who that child was, whom God needed together inside of Mary. The Holy Spirit went to work in a dormant, lifeless womb of a virgin. And there he fashioned a complete human nature, body and soul, just like ours, for the Son of God. The Spirit took the cells and DNA in Mary's womb and somehow intricately wove together a living child. He made a complete human nature from Mary's flesh and blood, for the Son of God to enliven as his own personal humanity. And in this way, God the Son became a real part of humanity. Fully man, truly man. Miraculously conceived as a true offspring of Mary. You know, God the Son had eternally shared in full God's nature as the one eternally begotten of the Father. But at this moment, God the Son began to share in full a nature just like yours. He became the firstborn son of a humble, young Newly engaged girl living in 
Nazareth. I believe this was a greater miracle than even the resurrection. On Easter morning, the dead human body of Jesus miraculously came to life again and was glorified. But that was a miraculous raising and glorification of a man who was already existing. Nine months before Christmas at the incarnation, the man, Jesus Christ, was brought into being by the Spirit's power, and God the Son began existing as a man in the first place. This was a greater miracle than even the creation of the universe, when God brought all things, seen and unseen, into existence. In creation, God the Father created by His Son, His eternal Son, His Word, as He spoke all created reality into existence. And God the Father created all things through His Son by their Spirit. And so we read in Genesis, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so it began. And in this way, our triune God created everything that was created. When the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, God did a new and greater work of creation. In creation, God the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. And the Spirit was the personal agent of God's power when he spoke the universe into being by his Son. At the incarnation, God the Spirit overshadowed the waters of Mary's womb and was the personal agent of the power of the Most High when he formed a human nature like we have for the divine Son to unite to his own person. And I count this singular moment, this conception, a greater miracle than all of creation because at this moment, God the Creator entered his creation. Now, God has, of course, at all times, in all places, been fully present in his creation. He's omnipresent. And God had, even in prior times, in various ways, manifested his presence in special ways in creation. But at the incarnation, for the first time ever, God became present in his creation by personally becoming part of it. Do you see that? God's glory was on display in a big way when he made the whole cosmos. But the microscopic miracle of the incarnation was a display of God's glory in an even bigger way. Because Mary's baby was incarnate deity. And this miracle is exceedingly great also because what happened in that moment of conception had eternally lasting effects. The human nature that the Spirit fashioned for the Son will never be taken off by the Son for all of eternity. At the moment of Christ's conception in Mary, something permanent happened. Without ceasing to be God, without ceasing to live 
as God in any way. God the Son became a man truly and evermore shall he be. The Lord developed in Mary's womb as a human unborn life and he was born just like the rest of us as a human baby and he grew up as a human child and he lived a truly human life but without sin in thought, desire, word, or deed and he died a truly human death for our sins as our real substitute and took the wrath of God we deserve and then his human body was sealed in a tomb while his human spirit went for three days to the place of the righteous dead. And then three days later, his human spirit was reunited with his human body, and his human body was raised and made glorious by the power of, who else? The Holy Spirit. And a few weeks later, he ascended to heaven, and there he now sits enthroned as a glorified man and is ready to return as one to judge the living and the dead. And he will reign and dwell in the midst of his people in and through this glorified human nature, which is just like the one we will have. When we see him, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And he will dwell with us, like us, for all of eternity. And he did this, and he will do all of this all the while, continuing to be and live as God in and through his divine nature, which is perfectly unchanged and unchanging. Glory to his name. When the Son of God humbly entered the virgin's womb, it was an act of humility that would have no end. When the word became flesh, it was for keeps, so our salvation in Christ will never end. We have eternal life, which is truly eternal, because the Son will never stop identifying us as his true brothers and sisters. As a righteous man, and we counted righteous in him because of his work. Here's something else to love about this great miracle of God. He did it before the eyes of no one. Look at verse 18 again. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. She was discovered to be pregnant. We're only told about when people noticed the effects of the Holy Spirit's conceiving work in Mary's womb. Luke 1, which I read earlier, told us about the Holy Spirit's conceiving work before it happened to Mary. Here in Matthew 1, it's described after the fact. You know, I assume Mary herself probably didn't even know the moment of the incarnation. Because as far as I understand these things as an outsider, ladies don't know the moment they become pregnant. Like, like Mary, often in verse 19, they are just later found to be with child already. Remember Psalm 139, where David spoke of his conception. I read it earlier. And he said to God, my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, 
intricately woven in the depths of the earth. So put this together. If indeed the greatest of God's miracles was this incarnation conception, that means the greatest of God's miracles was carried out in secret. The greatest miracle God did was done before an audience of only himself. It happened in the hidden secret place of a woman's womb. It happened during the hidden secret time of a woman's conceiving. But to borrow David's words in Psalm 139, it was not hidden from God. This most wonderful moment the real moment when God the Son entered the world, once for all, was God's alone to enjoy. Now, if you think that Christ uh, came into the world in a very modest manner as you're thinking about the manger scene, how much more is that the case when you consider the actual moment at which he came into the world? His completely unseen, unknown, hidden, secret conception. This was 100% out of public view. Not a single lowly shepherd knew about this. Not even Joseph. And probably not even Mary. God alone saw this great work of his own glory. This incomparably wonderful moment was for the good pleasure of God alone. It was for his own enjoyment of his own glory, his own delight in his own power and wisdom. When God the Father sent God the Son to be conceived by God the Spirit, these three rejoiced within the inner life of God at this great thing he had done. God alone witnessed the singular moment when his plan of salvation began to unfurl. Let this remind us that God works for his own glory and good pleasure. And let this also teach us how good God is, though he evidently needs no one outside of himself. He nevertheless shares himself with us. He communicates to us his own glory so we can be happy and satisfied in knowing him and in seeing his glory just like he is happy and satisfied within himself by the same. And let this compel us to glorify and enjoy, enjoy knowing our great God, even this week. You should call to mind this miracle of God often, this week. Don't let your heart be full of fretting over all your busy holiday plans. Don't let your heart be full of disappointment over all your holiday plans that have had to be canceled. Don't let your heart be captured most of all this week by any hard trial or new toy. Let your heart be filled with true worship of the living God. Rejoice in God your Savior. Remember the incarnation. Sing about the incarnation. Talk to your own soul about the incarnation. Talk to others about the incarnation. 
Talk to God about the incarnation in prayers of adoration and thanks. Grab hold of this good news that Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit and don't let it go. So your heart will be filled with wonder and joy in God. You know, the first thing that this great hidden miracle of God accomplished among men, according to this text, was to stir up some family drama. Look at verse 19. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. I mean, Joseph, Joseph is bewildered and heartbroken to find her pregnant. Now, we're not told, but I I think it's likely Mary has recounted Joseph, her dream, what the angel told her. But even so, you can understand why Joseph is distressed, can't you? I mean, he would think, my fiance is pregnant. She says it's because the most unimaginably great miracle in the history of the world has happened to her. Well, either my fiance has been singled out by God such that all generations will call her blessed, her of all people, or there is a far more easily understandable explanation for this and a more painful explanation as to why she is found with child. And so I'm going to have to let her go. We understand, I think, why Joseph resolves to divorce her. Now, maybe you're confused by that word divorce, since they're only betrothed. In Jewish culture of those days, the betrothal period was a far more significant commitment than what our engagement period is. Uh, Basically, it was considered something like the first stage of a marriage. So breaking off an engagement had to be formally undone through legal action and was actually considered a divorce. And unfaithfulness during the betrothal period was considered adultery. And Joseph, even during this betrothal period, was considered Mary's husband, as we saw him called in verse 19. So this had to be an just excruciatingly difficult and devastating decision. And verse 19 said Joseph was a just man, or you could translate that a righteous man. And his righteousness was likely part of what led him to conclude he should divorce Mary. Uh, some say that Jewish law of the day actually required Joseph to take this step if he found his betrothed had been unfaithful. And at any rate, taking Mary to be his wife would certainly not be above reproach because if he took her into his home as his wife, he would very likely be seen as an accomplice in her infidelity at at some level. But still, his... Righteous character compelled him to divorce Mary quietly. Did you see that? In as private a manner as possible. Even though he believed Mary was guilty of great sin against him, he was unwilling to put her to shame, to disgrace. He, He wanted to minimize any disgrace that would come on her. 
Is that your impulse in response to other people's sin? In our hyper-contentious, self-righteous, virtue-signaling, social media, breaking news-crazed day and age, it seems to be in vogue to criticize people in as public a manner as possible in order to maximally shame them and disgrace them. That is not righteousness. Joseph doesn't do that. He concludes Mary has acted in a truly shameful manner, but he is going to do what he thinks is right in as quiet a manner as possible. That's a good way to live a righteous life. You do what you think is right in as quiet a manner as possible. He does this in mercy towards Mary. But God, in his mercy, does not let Joseph go through with this plan. Look at verse 20. I love the first part of verse 20. As he considered these things, literally while he's thinking through these divorce plans, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Here's another example that the heart of a man is a river in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it where he wills. Uh, just like God sent an angel to Mary before the conception to explain this unexpected pregnancy, God sends an angel to Joseph after the fact to explain the same. Don't be afraid, Joseph, to go ahead and take her as your wife. This pregnancy is not what it seems. Even though others might not understand, and they're going to assume the worst about her, and probably the worst about you too, don't be afraid. Because this baby in Mary has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and his coming is really, really, really good news. And God explains to Joseph why that is the case when he explains what this baby shall be called. That's the second main point of the narrative. We've seen the origin of Mary's child. Now see the name of Mary's child. The name of Mary's child. Verse 21, the angel continues, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So first, in verse 21, there is a gender reveal. She will bear a son. It's a boy. Then God gives a boy's name. You shall call his name Jesus. And then God gives the reason for the name. The child Mary bears will save. The name Jesus is actually the Hebrew name Joshua. Perhaps you've heard some Messianic Jews call him Yeshua. You can hear the resemblance to the name Joshua. And the name Yeshua, or, or Jesus, is formed by putting together the revealed name of the Lord, Yahweh, and the Hebrew verb, to save. So the etymology of the name is literally, the Lord saves, or the Lord is salvation. And can you imagine hearing this directive? Joseph, you need to name the baby the Lord saves. 
Because this child is going to save. The child's going to save his people from their sins. Think about the implication of what the angel is saying. Name the child the Lord saves because this child will save. Are you getting it? What's the implication? This child is the Lord himself who has come on the scene to save. The name of Mary's child makes a statement about the person and work of Christ. And so the very heart of our faith is summed up in this name, Jesus. The name Jesus tells us that Mary's child is the Lord who has come to save. That's the person of Christ. And the name Jesus tells us that Mary's child is the Lord who has come to save. That's the work of Christ. Jesus, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Joseph, name the baby Jesus because there is salvation in no one else and in no other name. Name the baby Jesus because salvation belongs to the Lord and that's exactly who this child is. Whom will Mary's child save? Consider again the angel's words. His people. He saves his. He refers to these later on in the Gospel of Matthew as my church. Jesus says, I will build my church, my assembly, my congregation, my gathered people. And who can speak this way except the Lord? He will save his people? And the angel said that Mary's child would save his people from their, what was it? Now, many in Israel were hoping God would come and save them. Lots of them. Uh, But they weren't thinking God would come like this, and they weren't hoping that he would save them quite like this. They were hoping to be saved from Roman rule and Roman occupation in the land. So their hopes for salvation were mostly along these lines. And these are the kinds of salvations that people mostly hope for in our world today. Save us from our enemies. Save us from our oppressors. Save us from our afflictions. Save us from our sufferings. Save us from our troubles and our troublers. Save us from danger. Save us from pain. Save us from sadness. Save us from injustice. Mary's child came to accomplish a salvation that was greater, more significant, more necessary, and more fundamental than any of those hopes. He came to save his own people from their own sins. He came to save his personal disciples from their personal sins. Do you know that that is what you need to be saved from most of all? From your own sins. Your biggest problem is you. If you will come to terms with that, 
then I have good news for you. And you can hear it yourself by hearing what this angel tells Joseph, husband of Mary, that God's son became a human like you to rescue you from you, to save you from your sins. That is the saving God came to do when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. It's the saving we all most desperately need. I mean, didn't Israel find herself under Roman occupation and oppression because of their sin? All in all of these other awful things that, that people are right to want to be free from. Enemies, oppression, afflictions, troubles, danger, injustices, pain, sadness. These are all in the world because of sin, aren't they? We don't need to just be saved from the temporary consequences of our sins and, and saved from just experiencing the negative consequences of sin that are in the world generally. If God saved us only from the negative consequences of our sins, but not from our sins, how long would that salvation last? How would that salvation be good? You know, we have a whole book of the Bible that shows us in graphic detail that this does not work out so well. It is the book of Judges. Salvation from sin's consequences, like oppression, without salvation from sin is just one big downward spiral. We need a salvation that gets to the root of the problem, our sins. And that is the reason why when Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child. Now, how would this child given to Mary accomplish this great salvation? When he grew up, he told us. He said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And then later he said, I will pour out my blood for many for the forgiveness of sins. He saved his people from their sins by personally taking upon himself responsibility for their sins and bearing them before God as, as legally responsible for them. And he personally suffered God's judgment in his humanity that we deserve for our sins when he poured out his blood and gave up his life on the cross. And because he did this, anyone who trusts him and trusts in this work is forgiven for all their sins and counted 100% righteous before God forever and set free from sin's dominion even now. You know, some other man born in the first century could conceivably have grown up to save people from Roman rule and oppression. But it is utterly inconceivable that any other man could grow up and save people from their sins. Only God could do that. Only one who is eternal and infinitely great could satisfy our infinite debt. And at the same time, only a man could do it. Only incarnate God could satisfy our infinite 
debt. He could only pay the wages of our sin as our substitute and our real representative if he was truly like us. The baby conceived in Mary is God the Son incarnate, fully God, fully man, truly God, truly man. And so he and he alone is an all-sufficient Savior. So you should call his name Jesus. The Lord saves. Think of, of all the names that God could have chosen for his son. Of all the names, this is the one. Then it must be true. It must be true that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in this son will not perish but have everlasting life. And you can count on that being true because God wanted him named Jesus. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ear. Some of you want me to just say it again so you can love it. Jesus. In the next two verses, verse 22 and 23, we are told something else this child will be called. So look with me now at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, or which is translated as, God with us. If the name Jesus is sweet in your ear, so too is this simple three-word phrase, God with us. Those who would stand before Mary's child and recognize him as Emmanuel were in that recognition admitting God is right here. To be in the presence of this human was to be in the presence of God. Matthew tells us all of this, all of this that we've been reading about and speaking about this morning took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah, and specifically Isaiah 7, 14. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. He shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. A couple of chapters later in Isaiah, the prophet tells us more about this coming virgin-born son called Emmanuel. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. There's more of this name business. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So the child conceived in the virgin will be called God with us because he is mighty God. After Isaiah there in chapter 9 tells us this son will have the government on his shoulder and he will be the prince of peace. He then tells us that the increase of his government and peace will have no end. On the throne of David... And over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice 
and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So the son that Mary carries is the king promised of old in the line of David. The one God said would come from David whose kingdom would have no end. And the angel was nudging Joseph to understand this about Mary's miracle child when he addressed Joseph in verse 20 as Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The boy in her womb is the son whom God will seat on the throne of David from this time forth and forevermore. It will be a never-ending kingdom of ever-increasing peace, righteousness, and justice. So, as it turns out, the child conceived in Mary, who will save his people from their sins, will also save them from suffering, oppressors, enemies, affliction, injustices, sadness, danger, pain, and the like. When he brings them into his kingdom, a kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, to save his people from sin and all of its consequences forever. Best of all. Best of all. Those whom he saves from sin get to be in his presence. The prophet Isaiah also explained to us that our sins separate us from God. So if God will be God with us, if God will be our Emmanuel, he must save us from our sins. And he did. So he is. You can see then how these two names for Mary's son fit together. Jesus, Emmanuel. They go hand in hand. They, they even require one another. He saves us from sin so that we can be with him. And he can be God with us. And don't forget that this child inside Mary is not merely the one who would qualify us to be in God's presence. He is God's presence among us. He is God present with us. Colossians 2.9 says, In Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity. I cannot make a big enough gesture to represent that. The whole fullness of deity dwells in him bodily in this man. When, when the angel appeared to Joseph, the whole fullness of deity was dwelling bodily in Mary's womb. Can you imagine God in all of his fullness in a tiny unborn human as a tiny unborn human this is incredible kindness God has shown to sinners. God condescended himself with an infinite condescension in taking on human flesh. And he did it because he wants to be known as the God who is God with us. He wanted his son to be called Emmanuel because his heart is to draw near to his people. 
and be with them. His heart is to bring his people to him. The righteous died for the unrighteous, so we would be brought to God. The Gospel of Matthew, this wonderful Gospel, introduces us to Jesus as a child who is called God with us. And the Gospel of Matthew ends with the same theology, on the same note. Jesus tells his disciples after he's paid for their sins, just before he's about to ascend to heaven, he tells them, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The man, Jesus, is still God with us today. Even though, even while he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty as a resurrected, glorifying man, How is that? He has given to us his spirit, the same spirit who conceived him in Mary's womb as a man. He gives to us so that he can be with us always in and through that spirit. Jesus is our Emmanuel. Even now, by the Spirit he gives to all his people, it is the Spirit he gives to all those whom whom he has saved from sin. So if Jesus has saved you from your sins, Jesus is your Emmanuel. He is with you always. How much do you think about that in your daily life? If you are a Christian, if God sent his Son to be your Savior and to be with you, always, then you of all people should heed the exhortation of Psalm 105, 4, which says, seek his presence continually. Call to mind the truth that Jesus is Emmanuel and trust that it is so on the basis of his saving work alone and then consciously depend on him who is with you each moment and enjoy fellowship with him, with this great God who has come near. God wants to be God with us. And so you honor him and you please him when you seek his presence continually in Christ. If you are not a Christian today, you need to know that you are headed towards God's just judgment outside of the Son's kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice. And his kingdom will be a kingdom of peace and righteousness and justice because it will exclude sinners who have not been saved from their sins. But your separation from God And your exclusion from his kingdom can end in an instant. If you will just recognize that you are a sinner who needs most of all to be saved from your sins. And you will simply trust that Mary's child is for you, Jesus and Emmanuel. Call him what God said he should be called. And trust that he is God with us, God in flesh, who saves his people from their sins.
and you will be saved. In the last two verses of the chapter, Matthew wraps up the story in a quick and tidy way, telling us of Joseph's faith in God's message and Joseph's obedience to God's instruction. Verse 24, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The description of Joseph from earlier in the passage in verse 19 is vindicated. Joseph is a righteous man, indeed. But Matthew does not include these verses because he wants our big takeaway to be about Joseph. He ends the narrative really by reinforcing what he's already told us about both the origin of Mary's child and the name of Mary's child. He lets us know that even though Joseph did go ahead and marry his betrothed, he knew her not until after Jesus was born. So no one has any reason to doubt. Just just because of Joseph's marrying her, no one has reason to doubt on that basis that her child is anyone other than the Son of the Most High conceived by the Holy Spirit. And with the final word in the story, literally the final word in the story, Matthew tells us again the name God gave this child, Jesus. Call his name Jesus. God does not want us to miss it. That this son of Jesus, this excuse me, this son of Mary is our Savior. God, we thank you that for us was born a Savior that it was good news of great joy for all peoples, that he is a savior not just for the family of David, not just for the family of Abraham, but for all who would call on his name. God, I pray that you would, again, miraculously, we have seen nothing is impossible for you, so would you miraculously cause some spiritually dead hearts to call on the name of Jesus and to believe that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God, I pray that you would help all of us in the days ahead, especially this week perhaps, to remember this great thing, this mighty thing that you have done in sending your son to be conceived by the Spirit, born of a virgin, ultimately to be crucified for us, buried, raised for us, ascended to send the Spirit for us, who will come back for us. God, fill us with joy in you for your glory. Would you give us courage and wisdom to know how to navigate any opportunities we may have with family or anyone else we may get to see that we don't usually get to because of the holidays. God, make us uh, faithful witnesses and heralds of this good news of great joy. We praise you. We want to honor you with the way we live. Thank you for drawing near to us. Give us grace to seek your presence continually in the next couple of days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.